Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Asset Allocation Report for September 11, 2023. I'm Donna O'Donnell. In recent quarters, investors have focused heavily on issues such as consumer price inflation and the Federal Reserve's monetary policy. Now, however, rising fiscal deficits and congressional bickering over the federal debt has brought attention back to fiscal policy. Confluence market strategist Patrick Farron Hernandez is here today to talk about the government's recent fiscal trends and what that means for the economy and investing going forward. Patrick, you've written a report on the trend in federal fiscal position. Why did you decide to address that topic now? Well, hi, Donna, and thanks for having me on the podcast. To answer your question, part of the reason to focus on fiscal policy again was the recent decision by Fitch to slightly cut the U.S. government's debt rating. Two of the three major credit rating firms now have the U.S. debt rating one notch below their highest level. That sparked a lot of discussion among investors about the country's debt. In addition, now that Congress is back in session after its summer break, we expect to see a lot of disagreement agreement over the budget for fiscal year 2024, which begins on October 1st. Especially among Republicans in the House, there's a strong drive to cut spending and narrow the budget deficit. If they can't bring the entire House and Senate along with them, we could see a disruptive government shutdown in just a few weeks. And finally, after more than a decade in which the Federal Reserve was the focus of essentially all economic policymaking, the political winds have shifted and leaders in the executive branch have become much more comfortable with industrial policies like trade protectionism and subsidies. Because of that, a lot of economists are saying we're now entering a new period of what they call fiscal dominance or the primacy of fiscal policy in driving the economy. And why do investors need to be aware of the government's fiscal trends? Well, for one thing, government spending is a big part of overall demand. In the U.S., federal government spending has typically amounted to a bit more than 20% of gross domestic product, while state and local government spending made up around 10%. So when the government ramps up or down its spending on goods, services, capital investment, and interest, it can have a big impact on economic growth. Even more important, the federal debt that arises when outlays exceed revenues is a fundamental asset in the world's financial markets. Federal treasury bills are considered the risk-free asset, and yields on those bills are assumed to be the yield you get when there isn't any risk premium. The yield on treasury notes and bonds are likewise considered to be benchmarks for longer-term fixed-income assets. Since the size of the U.S. budget deficit and the level of federal debt determine the supply of the risk-free asset, they should have an impact on risk-free yields. In theory, if the deficit blows out and debt issuance jumps, you could have an oversupply of debt that leads to higher yields and vice versa. In theory, an extremely high level of debt could also cause investors to question whether the government can really make its debt payments, and that could make them reluctant to hold U.S. debt, which could also drive up yields. So, as you can see, there are many good reasons to focus again on federal fiscal policy. Your article focuses on the budget deficit rather than the level of federal debt. Why is that? As I jumped into the details of the current budget, I found some really interesting trends that I thought were worth highlighting. Of course, as I just mentioned, debt levels are also pretty important, but I have the sense that investors have a decent feel for the trends there. Put simply, debt levels have exploded in recent years. But what's driving that, especially now that we're beyond those big disruptions during the coronavirus pandemic? That's what I wanted to give investors a feel for. 
So let's get further into those details. What's the basic picture of where we are? Well, after blowing out in the great financial crisis, the federal deficit had gradually shrunk to the point where it was quite manageable at the beginning of 2016 at 2.2% of gross domestic product, or, or GDP. It then gradually expanded up to the pandemic as federal expenditures continued their longstanding upward trajectory, but revenues basically flatlined. Of course, then the deficit exploded during the pandemic, reflecting both huge stimulus spending and a drop in revenues as the economy was basically shut down. The deficit reached 19.7% of GDP in the year ended March 2021. But as the economy reopened, the deficit shrunk rapidly to just 4% of GDP in the year ended July 2022. Now, Unfortunately, the deficit has started to expand rapidly again over the last year, driven by both a drop in government revenues and a big increase in outlays. Over the last year, the deficit has reached about 8.6% of GDP. And what does that mean in dollar terms? Well, in the 12 months ending this July, federal receipts declined 7.3% to a total of $4.48 trillion. But outlays jumped 16.4% to a total of $6.743 trillion. The deficit stood at $2.263 trillion. And what's been driving the decline in government revenues? The drop in revenues is the clearest part of the story. It can be explained totally by a drop in individual income tax receipts. We suspect that the drop in individual income tax revenue came from lower capital gains taxes after the stock market's long slide last year, lower wage income as more baby boomers and other workers dropped out of the labor force, and an upward adjustment to federal tax brackets because of price inflation in 2022. The drop in individual income taxes was partially offset by a rise in other receipts, such as Social Security taxes, Medicare taxes, corporate income taxes, and customs duties. Nevertheless, it still had a meaningful impact on the budget deficit. Are declining government revenues a good thing, or are they bad? That gets to an important point. Lower income taxes leave more money in consumers' wallets, which they can then spend. But all the same, it's important to remember what I said earlier about the government being a big part of the economy and the financial markets. Healthy government finances are important, so the drop in government revenues over the last year are a cause for some concern. How about government spending? What's been the driving force behind their recent rise? Well, this is where the picture gets a lot more complex. When we dove into the numbers, we found that a couple of major types of outlays actually fell. For example, income security and healthcare spending declined modestly as we moved further beyond the pandemic. On the other hand, several big spending types grew sharply. For instance, because of population aging, a boom in new retirees, and a big cost of living increase in Social Security benefits, outlays for Social Security and Medicare grew by a collective $279.6 billion versus the previous 12-month period. Interest outlays were up $182.9 billion from the prior 12 months as outstanding debt grew and interest rates rose. And that's because outstanding debt grew and interest rates rose. 
But most dramatic of all, education outlays ballooned by $453.2 billion over the previous year, reflecting the pandemic-era moratorium on student loan repayments and interest. Now, that moratorium was declared back in March 2020, but final costs of $449.3 billion were recognized only in September of 2022, making it look like there was a sudden temporary spike in education expenditures during that one month. We think that's a great example of the ongoing costs of some of the pandemic relief programs and how hard it is to get your head around them based on the government's accounting. In your report, you suggest federal spending may now get reined in a bit, but why wouldn't we expect it to keep rising briskly? Isn't that what always happens? The data on education spending was really instructive for us. It really illustrates how much pandemic relief spending there was. As that finally comes to an end, a lot of spending is going to go away. In fact, beginning in October, the student loan payment moratorium is coming to an end. The administration has established some new rules meant to cushion the blow, but all the same, overall spending related to that moratorium will soon be a thing of the past. A substantial subsidy for day care centers is also ending. Of course, the new spending on infrastructure and subsidies for technology factory investment and the like will offset some of the benefit. But nevertheless, it looks like fiscal policy in the coming years will be tighter in large part because of the end of pandemic relief programs. What are the implications of spending declines or at least starts growing at a slower pace? Isn't that a good thing? The end of pandemic-related stimulus programs could help slow the growth in the federal budget deficit, even if that's somewhat offset by infrastructure spending, industrial subsidies, higher interest payments, and the like. But the deficit will still be substantial. The rise in interest rates will also become an ever bigger problem in our view. But for the economy, what we're watching is how the end of the student loan moratorium and other pandemic spending will play out for the consumer. We think the return of student loan payments will be a shock for a lot of people, and they'll have to rein in their consumption spending in favor of debt repayments, and that will come on top of higher interest rates. Those who have student loans with floating interest rates may be especially hurt. In sum, this could well help push the economy into the recession that we've all been expecting for so long. What does that mean for investors if spending shrinks and fiscal policy tightens? Well, setting aside the issue of a potential congressional standoff over the budget, tighter fiscal policy and a slowing economy would likely weigh on corporate profits and stock prices, at least temporarily. The same would likely go for commodities. On the other hand, a noticeable slowdown in the economy would probably help slow consumer price inflation even further. Investors would likely see that as a sure indication that the Fed can finally stop hiking interest rates. Some will probably start looking for rate cuts. On top of that, some investors will likely look at tighter fiscal policy as a sign that the U.S. could get control over its debt. In a word, this could well be positive for bonds, at least in the short term. All the same, nothing I've said here implies that federal debt will actually come down or that the budget deficit will go away completely. Those will still be issues in the coming years. Thank you, Patrick. Our discussion today is based on sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. Be aware that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our audio engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Donna O'Donnell.